still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and went home marveling at what had happened." which is exactly where we will be picking up in the text this morning, and which takes us now to our thesis statement this morning, church, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this. Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, was buried, and on the third day gloriously rose from the dead, all in accordance with those very same Scriptures as well. Again, our thesis statement this morning, church, is this. Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, was buried, and on the third day gloriously rose from the dead, all in accordance with those very same Scriptures as well. And thus at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up this morning to Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. And if you are joining us today and do not have or do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and even to keep one of our church Bibles, which are all located in the chairs in front of you, as our gift to you this morning. Because trust me, we want you to have and to be reading your very own copy of the Word of God, which you can start doing today by turning that brand new Bible of yours to page 885, and by joining us as we as a church family Hear the word of God together this morning. For again, we will be in Luke chapter 24 this morning, church, and we will be looking specifically at verses 13 through 35, where Dr. Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself grew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God, and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since all these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. 
Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, if there is anyone here this morning who does not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Lord, we pray that you open their eyes this morning so that they can see and realize that Jesus Christ is still alive, that you soften their hearts this morning, so that they can believe that Jesus Christ is still alive, and that they can repent of their sins and place their faith in Christ as the only one who forgives sinners of their sins, giving them new life, salvation, and when he comes again, will raise them to endless life as well. Father, for all the individuals here this morning who do know you, open their eyes as well, soften their hearts this morning to receive this text. Lord, let them see that our faith is a biblical faith, grounded in, rooted in, established in the very word of God. Let it be established in nothing else. And Lord, as we trek through this life and the pains of this life wear on us, sickness and disease cripple us, friends and family members pass away from us. Father, let us cling to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, knowing that for those who are in Christ, though they may die, yet they shall live. Father, I pray that you help my lisping and stammering tongue this morning. Let me be faithful to your word above all else, so that you be glorified, and that this congregation this morning, on this Resurrection Sunday, be built up, strengthened in their faith, and edified. Do this wonderful work, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this, point number one. 
Do not be a fool, for it was clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer before entering his glory, just as the prophets foretold. Point number one, do not be a fool, for it was clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer before entering his glory, just as the prophets foretold. Verses 13 through 27, which reads, At that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So as we open here in verse 13, we see that on that very day, or that later on, on the day when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that two of his disciples, now, not two of his remaining 11 apostles, 11 with Judas now being out, but two of Jesus' other disciples who were seemingly among all the rest of the people from Luke chapter 24, verse 9, that they were going to a village named Emmaus. And although we do not know much about this village named Emmaus, what we do know, church, as we see in verse 13, was that Emmaus was located seven miles away from Jerusalem. And that while these two disciples of Jesus Christ were seemingly traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus and were talking with each other about all the things that had happened or about all the events that had taken place that week in Jerusalem concerning Jesus Christ, that verse 15, the resurrected Jesus Christ then drew near and went to them. But that these two disciples of his, verse 16, were kept from recognizing him at this time. And it doesn't seem to be because Jesus is appearance here was just so vastly different or unrecognizable at this time, but instead it seems to be because God was ultimately keeping these two disciples of Jesus Christ from recognizing him at this time. 
to which the resurrected Jesus Christ then says to his disciples here in verse 17, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? Only for Cleopas then, which was the name of one of these disciples, to say back to Jesus Christ in verse 18, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? In essence, Cleopas here is asking the resurrected Jesus Christ, the one who just three days prior was crucified on a cross, died, and who was buried in a grave, if he was the only visitor to Jerusalem who did not know what had happened to Jesus Christ. And oh, the irony here, church, is rich, is it not? And yet, although Jesus Christ did indeed know exactly what had happened to him, crucifixion and all, over the past couple of days. Jesus Christ, for he doesn't say that to his disciples here, but instead simply says to them in verse 19, what things? To which they then respond back by saying, concerning Jesus of Nazareth who, verse 19, was a prophet and who was mighty and deed and word before God and all the people, but who, verse 20, our chief priests and rulers delivered up to be condemned to death and crucified. Or in essence, as the late R.C. Sproul writes, they are recounting for Jesus Christ here, again, who do not recognize him at this time, the events regarding Jesus' death. And as we go on to see in verses 22 through 24, reports about Jesus' resurrection as well. Verse 22 from the women who went to the tomb and who did not find, verse 23, Jesus' body, but who said that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he, Jesus, was alive. And also, verse 24, from some of those who were with us, who also went to the tomb, those specifically being Peter and John, as we see in John chapter 20, and who found it just like the women had said, but Jesus they did not see. To which the resurrected Jesus Christ then said back to them in verse 25, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. In essence, rebuking his two disciples here for not believing all that the prophets have already said as recorded in the Old Testament scriptures about the Messiah. Only to then ask his disciples, as we go on to see in verse 26, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Or to put it another way, was it not clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer before, as Thomas Schreiner points out, his exaltation at his resurrection and ascension as Messiah and Lord? To which Jesus Christ then, after rebuking his disciples for not believing all that the prophets had said about the Messiah... He, Jesus Christ, then, as we go on to see in verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, referring here to the entire Old Testament church, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself, in essence, the things concerning the Messiah. And although we do not have the manuscript of exactly what Jesus Christ taught on this very day to these very disciples, 
And although I do not want to speculate too much here, church, but oh, can you just imagine for a second the word Jesus Christ himself explaining and interpreting the word of God to them as he takes them through the Old Testament scriptures here and shows them what they say about himself, the Christ. Maybe starting all the way back in Genesis 3.15 about the coming seed or the coming offspring who although would have his heel bruised by that wicked serpent of old would also then one day absolutely crush that serpent's head. And then maybe he took them to Micah chapter 5 and showed them that this little town called Bethlehem was the place where the Messiah, the snake crusher, would ultimately be born. And then maybe he took them to Isaiah chapter 7 and pointed out to them there that the Messiah would be born of a virgin, and that they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Only maybe then he took them to Isaiah 53, and showed them there that the Messiah would also be pierced for our transgressions, and crushed for our iniquities, and that his grave would be made with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. And then maybe, church, he took them to the 16th Psalm and shared with them there verse 10, which reads, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or allow your Holy One to see corruption. And then pointed out to them there, just as we see affirmed in Acts chapter 2, verses 31 and 32, as the New Living Translation puts it, that David, the author of the 16th Psalm, was actually looking into the future there and was speaking of the Messiah's resurrection and was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. And yet, despite all my speculation about what Jesus Christ actually said and pointed out to his disciples here. For please, please, please do not fail to notice or to see here, church, as one commentator notes, that Jesus Christ believes that our faith should be rooted in the Bible. For we believe these things, things like the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because the Bible predicted them, And they were actually fulfilled in history. And we don't make up the meaning of these things because the meaning of these things is there in the Bible as well. For God did not let the message that saves the world rest merely on human experience or oral testimony, but instead he wrote it down beforehand so that we could verify it. And he wrote it down so we could pass it on from generation to generation For Christianity is God saying to all the world, I told you so. I told you I would deliver you, and I did, just like I said I would. And thus my question then to you all here this morning on this Resurrection Sunday is this. For is your faith grounded and rooted and fixed and based on what the Word of God says? Or is your faith instead based on what others say? Or more specifically here, being that it is Resurrection Sunday, for is your faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ based on what God infallibly says in his most holy word? Or is your faith and your understanding and your beliefs about the resurrection of Jesus Christ based on the theories and the hypotheses of others? 
who say that Jesus Christ never really died on that cross at Calvary, but instead just fainted from exhaustion, or who say that Jesus' disciples were all just hallucinating and that there really wasn't a resurrected Jesus Christ, or who say that Jesus' body was just stolen, or that it was just someone else pretending to be Jesus Christ, or that Jesus actually had a twin, or that this whole resurrection of Jesus Christ thing was all just made up. Because if you love the truth, church, and you want to know the truth, church, and you hunger and you thirst and you only want to ground yourself in the very truth, church, then lovingly let me encourage you to not side with the world and all their foolish and absurd and crazy and downright ludicrous theories concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But instead, ground yourself, root yourself, and establish everything you believe concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ and everything else for that matter in the very word of God itself, since it is a word that cannot lie, that does not lie, and will always give to you, Christian, what the truth surely and unmistakably is. Which brings us to point number two. See that Jesus Christ truly rose from the dead. Point number two, see that Jesus Christ truly rose from the dead. Verses 28 through 35. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven And those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So following Jesus Christ just interpreting the Old Testament scriptures to these two disciples of his, Jesus Christ then, as we see in verse 29 went in and stayed with them upon reaching the village of Emmaus. And that's while he, Jesus Christ, verse 30, was at table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, similar to what he did with his disciples at the Last Supper back in Luke chapter 22. And it was at that time, church, as we go on to see in verse 31, that their eyes were opened and that they could finally recognize that this man was Jesus Christ himself. Or as David Powell explains it, God opened their eyes so that they could recognize Jesus Christ and understand who he is in light of what the scriptures promise. 
And thus they see here, church, that Jesus, that he is not dead anymore, or deceased anymore, or expired, passed on, lifeless, rigid, or a corpse anymore, but that instead the crucified Jesus Christ was now living and breathing, walking and talking, moving and thinking, and was most certainly alive and in their very midst. To which... The resurrected Jesus Christ, then verse 31, vanished from their sight. And these two disciples then, for they said to each other, verse 32, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? In short, as another commentator puts it, that even before these two disciples here recognized that it was Jesus Christ, the fact that he, Jesus, opened and interpreted the scriptures for them, gave them hope and began convincing them of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And thus these two disciples then, church, who now realize that this man who they walked with and talked with and reclined at table with was all along Jesus Christ, for they do not then just call it a day here, church, or decide to just pack it in for the evening here, church, or choose to just sit tight, not go anywhere, and just stay in for the night here, church, but instead they, verse 33, rose that same hour and returned seven miles back to Jerusalem here. And oh, can you just imagine the pep in their step while doing so? And yet after the seven-mile trek all the way back to Jerusalem, for these two disciples then find, verse 33, the eleven apostles of Jesus Christ and those who were with them gathered together, saying, verse 34, that the Lord Jesus Christ has risen indeed and that he has appeared to Simon. To which they then, church, the two disciples here, as the New Living Translation puts it, verse 35, For they then told their story of how Jesus appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread, which make no mistake about it was good news for these first century followers of Jesus Christ, church, is good news for us as followers of Jesus Christ today, church, and will continue to be good news for followers of Jesus Christ for every generation to come, church, that the crucified Jesus Christ did not remain dead or deceased or lifeless or buried in some grave, but that instead he, Jesus Christ, he rose from the grave and that Jesus is alive. And thus, as we begin to close this morning, church, I'd like to do so with the non-Christian who was here first, and to share with you, non-Christian, why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is such good news. As I share with you this morning, the gospel, or the good news of Jesus Christ, who came into this world, non-Christian, as truly God, and as truly man, to live and to dwell amongst us and to save us from our sins by initially living for us the life that we as sinners could never, ever live. And that he, Jesus Christ, lived a life here on earth, non-Christian, that was sinless and holy and righteous and good, free from any kind of transgression or wickedness, iniquity or sin 
which meant that he, Jesus Christ, then fulfilled the law of God in its entirety, perfectly and completely and without any kind of offense or for the very children of God. However, being that the wage of our sin, non-Christian, or the cost of our sin, non-Christian, is that of death, Romans 6, 23, he, Jesus Christ, then, also paid the price for our sins that we as sinners could not pay. By taking our sins upon himself and by willingly giving up his own life. By being nailed to and pierced, crucified and crushed on a cross at Calvary in our place and as our very substitute, even though he himself never sinned. However, by giving himself up as a perfect and sinless sacrifice in our place, he, Jesus Christ, then satisfied the justice of our holy God and appeased then, non-Christian, the wrath of our holy God all toward his sinful children as well. And thus, because Jesus Christ, then, was accepted by God the Father as the wrath-appeasing sacrifice for our very sins, and furthermore, because sin and death had absolutely no power over Jesus Christ, since Jesus Christ never, ever sinned three days later than this sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ. For he didn't stay dead or buried in some grave, but instead, three days later, he, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead, and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all, and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. For let today be the day that you repent of your sin, and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin, and can clothe you then in his righteousness, in his perfect life, and reconcile you back to God forever. For let today be the day that you repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ, and today will be the day that you will be forgiven of your sin and given the gift, non-Christian, of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, for as we close this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, I'd like to do so by considering at this time what the resurrection of Jesus Christ means for us as the children of God. Specifically speaking, about the resurrection of Jesus Christ being the basis or the guarantee for our own future resurrection. And that when we die physically Christian and are put into the ground, for our soul at that time will not die. But instead, although we become absent from our bodies, our souls, they go to heaven to be with Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 1 verse 23. Until the end of the age when Jesus Christ returns, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and there will be a glorious resurrection of our physical bodies. And oh, what a happy and blessed and glorious day that will be. However, that is not a hope and a promise, brother Christian, sister Christian, that everyone in this world has. For as Nathan Busnitz wrote, Some time ago I stumbled across a fascinating Newsweek article 
written back in 1968, entitled Soul on Ice. And the article reported the premature death of a 24-year-old man named Stephen Mendel due to a chronic illness. However, before his death, Mendel wanted to safeguard his future by having his body frozen in hopes that he could one day be thawed and revived if a cure for his illness were ever found. Therefore, in compliance with his wishes, upon his death, his body was taken and infused with antifreeze, packed with dry ice and placed indefinitely in a capsule. A remote chance of success was all Mendel's mother was willing to grant this science fiction-like endeavor. Nevertheless, she continued by saying that it was easier for her to bear because there wasn't the same finality of putting someone away under the earth. And although this is a fascinating and yet tragic story, it certainly highlights the profound pessimism of those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, compared to Christians who are hoping for a future resurrection. However, unlike Mendel, our hope is not based on a future defrost, but instead on the very promise of God himself. Thus, as J.C. Ryle writes, let us cling then firmly to the resurrection of Christ as one of the pillars of the gospel, and that it ought to produce in our minds a settled conviction of the truth of Christianity, and that our faith does not depend merely on a set of texts and doctrines, but that it is founded on a mighty fact, which this skeptic has never been able to overturn. Furthermore, it ought to assure us of the certainty of the resurrection of our own bodies after death. For if our master has risen from the grave, we need not doubt that his disciples shall all rise again on the last day. And above all, it ought to fill our hearts with a joyful sense of the fullness of gospel salvation. For who shall condemn us, since our great Savior has not only died for us, but has also risen from the grave as well. And thus let the resurrection of Jesus Christ fill your heart with absolute joy this morning, Christian. Since as 1 Corinthians chapter 15 so eloquently and so profoundly puts it, Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, was buried And on the third day, gloriously rose from the dead, all in accordance with those very same scriptures, and was seen by Peter and the twelve and James and the more than 500 people who saw him as well. And thus, because he, Jesus Christ, then rose from the dead as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, so too will all those who place their faith in Jesus Christ as well. And that one day, our perishable bodies, Christian, will put on the the imperishable, and our mortal bodies will put on immortality. And thus, because of that, lovingly then, brother Christian, sister Christian, let me encourage you all here this morning to cling, even in the here and now, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that when you are having a bad day, cling to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
When you are feeling sick or achy or that back pain of yours just won't go away, cling to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or when your dad has dementia, your sister has breast cancer, your aunt melanoma, your neighbor had a stroke, your grandfather is dying, or when you are just filled with all kinds of anxiety because you do not know how you're ever going to make it work, then cling with everything you got, Christian, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that you let the resurrection of Jesus Christ be your hope in darkness, your confidence in sickness, your promise in pain, and your assurance even in the face of death. Since if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And that one day at the return of Jesus Christ, our bodies, brother Christian, sister Christian, though they may die, for they will be resurrected, raised in power, raised in glory, and fit to be in the presence of our most holy God forever in his consummated kingdom, where death and pain and mourning and crying will forever be no more. Therefore, cling to, hope in, and never stop finding assurance, Christian, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because since he, Jesus Christ, rose from the dead, so too will all those who place their faith in Jesus Christ as well. Thus it is my prayer that we as a church body Day by day, cling to the blessed hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Since we have a Savior in Jesus Christ who not only died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and who was buried, but who also then was raised on the third day in accordance with those very same Scriptures as well. And thus, because He did it, as the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, so too will all those who place their faith in Him. Therefore, let us then cling to the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the essence and as the basis for our own future bodily resurrection and give thanks to our God now and forevermore who gives us the victory over sin, over death, and over the grave through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, open our eyes this morning and help us to see what we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let us understand that Christ has won, that he has defeated sin, the great enemy, defeated death, the great enemy, and that for all those who die in Christ, will also be raised with Christ as well. We have no reason to fear death. Death has lost its sting. Death will have absolutely no victory over us. And thus let our aches and pains remind us that there will come a day when these bodies, these perishable bodies, will put on the imperishable That there will come a day when these mortal bodies put on immortality and that they will be able to stand in the presence of the holy God himself in a kingdom that has no end. Where pain, it will be no more. Where suffering, it will be no more. 
where mourning, it will be no more. Where death, it will be no more. For that is the guarantee that all of those who have confessed faith in Jesus Christ have. Thus, let us worship the King Jesus Christ this morning, the one who paid the price for our sins, who was raised for our justification, and is the guarantee that we too will be raised to eternal life with King Jesus, the King of the kingdom of God, in that kingdom forever as well. Father, open our eyes to let us see what we have in the King Jesus Christ, and let us cling to it as we journey on until the day he comes again. In Jesus' name, amen.